Thank you, Keith, uh, for those warm words of welcome. It's always my privilege to be here. And uh, uh, although I was welcome, I just feel at home anyway. So it is a joy. It's always one of those things, you know, when you're welcoming the, uh, a sort of visiting preacher, it's not easy for folk. I remember some years ago, I was invited to uh, preach on a particular occasion. Uh, the preacher who was supposed to be there was taken suddenly ill. So finally they got to me and they asked, are you free? I said, yes, I'm free and uh, I can come. And of course, I was being introduced and I said, it's good to have Bill Patterson here today. It's good to know when we can't get anyone else, we can have Bill. <laughs> so I thanked them for the warmth of their welcome and told them I was totally underwhelmed. <laughs> but I, I don't feel that way today. It, it is a privilege to be here. I, I hope you've got the Bible or whatever form you have, the tablet or so forth. You'll keep it open so that we can refer uh, to the various passages. Now that we're emerging from some of the worst restrictions uh, due to COVID, uh, and people are thinking about the way ahead. I don't know if you've noticed, there's certain new terminology or phraseology which is being used today. For example, President Biden in the United States, in one of his early addresses, he's spoken three occasions about building back, building back, building back. And Boris Johnson quickly reminded him that he had stolen the phrase from him and then quickly added he had gleaned it from someone else. Building back. In other words, they're not just thinking of rebuilding, but they're thinking of building something even better than that which existed before. And truly, there is a need for that in terms of our society. Building back the NHS, as many things have been curtailed. Building back in terms of the economy of the country. After just taking this immense, enormous hit, there needs to be back building or building back. And also with the educational services. And then it's true for churches. For over a year, some uh, events have stopped. They had to be put in mothballs. Others have been greatly curtailed. And even plans of things to go forward had somehow be put on the back burner. So there's a need to be building back in concerning these things. And even to a greater extent, there needs to be building back in terms of the moral and spiritual state of our country. We have witnessed in this last 50, 60 years, a tremendous decline in the moral and spiritual values of this country. For example, the British survey, which is one of the more reliable ones, for the first time in the history of the survey, more than 50% of the people of the country said they were irreligious. No thought or time for any religion whatsoever. That's not saying that the less than 50% had biblical evangelical Christianity. But there's that decline. Who would have thought 25 years ago we'd be talking about the redefinition de de of marriage? Such thinking was quite alien, foreign to our thinking. And yet here we see that culture, which essentially had been the backbone or the basis of our society, a Judeo-Christian view of life and the world, we have seen the demise and the collapse of that. Culture is that, those values. That vision of what a country should be, which binds the country together and enables it to function. And we have seen the disintegration of that. And even much of the religion that exists in our country is of a confused and compromised uh, condition and state. Little example, some years ago, there was a cartoon, I think it was in one of our daily new newspapers. 
And there was a clergyman, and round his neck was a chain. But you would expect at the end of the chain there would be a cross. Instead, there was a question mark. And the cartoonist was really saying, that's Christianity for us. They're not even sure about what they believe, or they can't speak with certainty about those things which they, they say they believe. Uh, Browning, Robert Browning, the poet, many, many years ago, and he was looking at the state of religion in this country, and he penned these words, is this thing we see religion? Is this all there is to be? In other words, surely there's something more than that with parades or ma masquerades of religion and uh, of Christianity in these days. Clearly, there needs to be a building back. And it's at this point, the book of Nehemiah really has a lesson and messages of help for us and encouragement to us in these days. Nehemiah was facing a similar situation like that. Yes, there are those who had returned after the 70 years of exile. Yes, certain things had been done. The temple of a kind had been reconstructed. The walls were still largely broken down. There were no gates in the city, and there hadn't been a real re-establishment of that Jewish society. There was a need to be building back. And God sees a man, and here's this man a thousand miles away, which is amazing. And in those days, it was like the other side of the world, a thousand miles. And here's this man, even though he's far removed, he's got a very high position in the king's palace. He's cupbearer, which means he pre-prepared and pre-tasted the wine for the king. A very trusted position. Uh, that's as good as it gets in those particular societies. And there he is. He's got it made. The world is his oyster, as it were. But although he's in that position, he's more concerned for the condition of the people of God and the city of God and all that that stood for in terms of the honor and praise of God is more concerned about that. Yes, physically, he's a cupbearer in the king's palace, but spiritually, his heart emotionally is back in Jerusalem and the condition of, the, of those people. And when it comes to building back, it's that sort of person and people of that nature People of that character are those whom God uses in order to build back or to rebuild and build something, something better. A person who was concerned about the work of God's. And his concern arose from two sources. It was an informed concern. It wasn't just an emotional feeling. It was informed. And one of the sources was God's word. Read the first chapter and Jim brought this to you last week. And it's just filled with thoughts about Israel's history, their relationship to God, their reaction to God's word, and what God would promise to do for these people if they would turn to him. His mind was just filled with scripture, and it was that which were created, fostered, and developed this enormous concern for the work of God. And that, in a sense, is a lesson for us. It's so important when we're looking at the church, any church, this church, it's so important when we look in society, our society, any other society, that we look at it through the lens of Scripture. Because in the lens of Scripture and through the lens of Scripture, we see the mind of God and the heart of God for the work of God. And that must inform us as we seek to see this building back. And then the second source was the words of other people. Remember when... 
People had come from Jerusalem uh, back to the, uh, the Persian Empire. And what's one of the first things Nehemiah does? He says, how are things in Jerusalem? He inquires of them. The particular word which is used here, those who survived the exile and are back in the province, they talked about are in great trouble and disgrace. And it says, and I questioned them about your Jewish remnant, verse 2. It's almost as if he interrogated them. He wanted to know. He wanted to be informed. He wanted, as it were, for his information level to be as high and as deep and as wide as he possibly could. And this further fostered, this further challenged him with regards to his concern and to the, the work of the Lord. And I believe that's so important for us. Henry Adams, an American historian, put this, practical politics consists in ignoring the facts. Practical politics. It's in ignoring the facts that it consists. Well, practical spiritual concern doesn't work on that basis. It consists in facing the facts, looking at the facts, understanding the facts, and appreciating the facts. That's the nature of that. Nehemiah, although a thousand miles away, although having a high prestigious job, he'd got it made. He was still concerned to know the facts about the state of the people of God. I think more near a biblical position are the words of Aldous Huxley from a famous Huxley family. We wouldn't agree with much that he said, but he put it this way. Facts do not cease to be facts because they are ignored. The reality will still be there. The reality is there, even though we choose to ignore, ignore them. Another person wrote this. I haven't been able to trace the source. Some people do not want to know what is going on because information brings obligation. We don't want to, to face the facts. We don't want to be in the know. We don't want to acquire information because automatically, inevitably, if we face those facts, it brings a measure of obligation. And that's the way it impacted the life of Nehemiah. When he heard the facts, he was already concerned. But this, that concern was deepened and widened. It grew, increased so much so that he gives himself to prayer. He calls upon the name of the Lord. He's moved. He's motivated. He's thinking of every conceivable means that he could employ by God's grace to do God's work back in Jerusalem. And surely that should be the case with us. Abraham Lincoln, long before he became president, was deeply disturbed by slavery. He found it difficult to contemplate how any person could buy and sell another person for the sake of uh, commerce or the, the sake of finance. And even in his earliest days, he only had a small amount of money, but he spent that to emancipate a slave. He faced the reality and he wanted to do all he could. And as he gradually rose up the ladders, a statesman, a statesman was coming to present. This was his prayer to God. Oh Lord, help me to hit this thing and hit it hard, whatever the cost, whatever the consequences. He was a man who felt obligated in the light of the facts. And dear friends, surely it ought to be incumbent upon us. Surely we ought to feel we want to know as much as we can 
about the work of God, whatever place, whatever form, whatever country, whatever the situation, we ought to want to know, to face the facts, if we're going to see this back building. Let me just give you two uh, illustrations of that. One taken from history. William Curry, known as the father of modern missions, a man who was from Northampton, a cobbler. And there God had put it in his heart to reach nations. Now, this was in a time before all the modern means of communications and the way of storing information. And yet Will, William Curry could have told you from numerous countries how many people lived in that country, how many believers there were in that country, what was the state of religion in that country. At a time when it was so difficult to get that information, Curry, uh, Curry accumulated that. He wanted to know. No wonder God used him, as it were, to fire the hearts of others and to take the gospel to India and see great things. He, he had the information and he felt the obligation. I was brought up in a large church in Belfast. The congregation, every Sunday, was six, 700 people. And when I first joined, there was an elderly pastor, a Mr. Greg, a really saintly man. He retired and I had been to England and studied it, and then back in Ireland for a little bit, and I heard he was in hospital. And so I went to, to visit him, frail and weak. He found it difficult at first to picture me. But then once he said, oh, yes, he said, excuse me. And he opened a little drawer by the side of his bed, and he took out a black book. And he said, now, remind me again about your name, what you're doing, what's the nature of the ministry? What's the truth? And he had all those details, all of them. And he put the book down as he placed it down. I saw leaf after leaf, person after person, place after place, and all the details. And he said, this is my prayer book. This is my prayer book. I'm glad I was in the black book of such a man. And I was so pleased. Oh, wanting to know, concerned to know, so to be moved to pray in the, the particular situations. Now, Nehemiah was a man who was clearly concerned, and we've looked at the sources of his information. He is a man who was facing the task because he was concerned about it, and he wanted to do something. And he does, as it were, take out his toolbox in order for the great task that God had given him to do, this task of rebuilding. And I want us to look at three of the tools that he had in his box as he undertook this momentous task of rebuilding or building back. And the first tool, perhaps you wouldn't think it was a tool at all. And you might be surprised it was even in the box. And you could consider possibly it isn't, a, it wouldn't have been a great priority or shouldn't have been a great priority for him. It wouldn't be for us. But the first tool is patience. The first tool is patience. Look at the last verse of chapter one. And Nehemiah says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Notice what he says. Give your servants today, today. Nehemiah was a dynamic, decisive character. Thank God for such people. We need them, don't we? But there's another side to that. He didn't like the grass growing under his feet. He was a sort of man with a passion, and he wanted that to happen. 
And because of his that sort of up person, he wanted immediate answer from God. He wanted an immediate opportunity to do something. And in one sense, that's commendable. It's laudable. It's reasonable. But in another sense, God's timetable isn't always what our timetable is. This particular man had to wait. It says the month of Nisan, the 20th month. That's in December. And then it goes along and we find that the the month of Kislev, which is the middle of December. He has to wait not one month, not two months, but three months. Can you imagine waiting in such a situation for such a man? I could believe it was killing him. (laughs) He was an action man and wanted to do that. Give us today. Nehemiah had to come and understand that God's day isn't always in our day. And God's time isn't necessarily in our time. But I can tell you God's day is the right day and God's time is the best time. And oftentimes it needs patience to do that. Why is that? Nehemiah needed his thinking clarified. I can imagine his mind and all the things that we're going through. It's rather like, you know, a glass where you have a lot of sediment and it's shaking and it's it's a bit cloudy. He needed a period of time when his thoughts might be clarified. In other words, his words had to be chosen carefully. He had to speak to this emperor. He knew something about the emperor's attitude in the palace. He knew something about people who had opposed the work in a former day. He, 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 he needed to know how to speak to this emperor in a proper way, in an informed way, in an intelligent way. Now, the Bible says a word in season. How good it is. But it's a word in season. You know, sometimes we need that patience, don't we? You, you're thinking about someone you'd like to witness to, and you're praying mm-hmm. about it. And you just, you can't understand why you're not getting the opportunity. What's the Lord doing? He's helping us to think through what we might say, how we might express it, when we might express it. We have to deal with certain people. And it's so important. And then Nehemiah's attitude needed to be modified. A dynamic, decisive person oftentimes finds it difficult to deal with those and work with those who aren't. <laughs> Difficult. Why don't they get a move on? Why don't they shake themselves? It's that so easy. But Nehemiah was going to have to think, how is he going to speak to a king? How is he going to speak to the people back in Jerusalem who were demoralized and discouraged? Who, who were smoking flecks and bruised reeds? We could hardly contemplate the things that could be different to what they are. They had to come in like a, a bull, like a, tie, a china shop. But he had learned to be patient, didn't he? He had learned to walk around the walls. He had learned to survey the scene. He had learned to take in the difficulties and see the potential. He had to be patient. He had to learn how to speak to the scourge. And then he had to learn how to speak with those who opposed them. How easy it could have been civil war with this group. He needed to know what to say and how to say it. And all of those things requires 
uh, requires patience. He needed that. He needed to view, even to view patience in a different way. We often think that patience is more a negative thing, more a negative thing. We don't see it as positive. But when we, we can look at it, we see, can see it another way. You see, waiting time is not wasted time if it's preparing time. We often think, oh, this time's going past. It's been wasted. We could be doing this, that, and the other. It was helping us to prepare better. And we'll see a little bit more of that uh, shortly. It is never wasted time. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tada, who many of you have heard of, as a teenager, she dived into water. and She broke her back and she was paralyzed. And for a period, she was utterly frustrated. I'm sure we would all be in that situation. But, but she learned certain things and certain truths. And this is what she wrote. The times when we find ourselves having to wait on others may be the perfect opportunities to train ourselves to wait on the Lord. And you know, when, when waiting time, patient time becomes praying time, it's never wasted time. Never. And how we need to understand that. You know, so often when there's impatience, that's when we get the half-built towers, which the Bible speaks about. Because there wasn't a thought beforehand. There wasn't the counting of cost. There wasn't consideration of the magnitude of what was there before us. We just dashed forward in our enthusiasm and then the walls crashed. And so many battles have been lost. Just someone acts in an impatient way. I remember a pastor telling me he did something, I'm having trouble. I said, well, what did you do to prepare the congregation for the situation? Oh, he said, I just took action. I'm like that. He said, it didn't take long. I said, no, it didn't take long. But it'll take years to put the church together. First two, patience. Patience. We could develop this for, for many hours. Just look at it's never wasted when that patience becomes a positive attitude towards the work of God. And then leading on from that, the second tool is the tool of prayer. And Jim, I believe, covered this very adequately. But just let me say a few things about it. Uh, we, chapter two. The king, verse says, verse four, the king said to me, what is it you want? Hey, how's that? He was praying for an opportunity. Sometimes it comes when you're not expecting it. <laughs> we need to be prepared. And then this wonderful, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. You notice the sequence? Notice the order? Then I prayed and I answered the king. The praying was first. The answer uh, comes afterwards. And all of this brings home to us a number of points with regards to praying, and as you're exhibited and expressed in the Imam. And first of all, the priority of praying. Then I, I prayed, then I answered. That's the order. Here's the seeking to pray, and that this is so important. Why is it so important? In some situations, which we've even been seeking and longing and looking for when they arrive. At that moment, there might be fear comes into us. Can you imagine Nehemiah? Here's this man. 
doing that and Nehemiah can lose his life. Anything could happen. What a situation. Jesus first. His heart goes to heaven. His heart goes to heaven before his mouth speaks. And Nehemiah was frightened. There's nothing wrong with being frightened. As long as we commend our face to the Lord. As long as we bring our anxieties and our apprehension to him. If we don't, we find that fears will cripple, uh, cripple us. And then also we need to pray in order that we might communicate effectively. Not only in what we say, but how we say it. Look how he speaks to the king, if it pleases the king. If it pleases the king. Oh, how he thought his, his words would be as warm and as winsome and as winning as they possibly could in that situation. He prayed, then he answered, and he answered. Dear friends, if we don't, you know, oftentimes, and many of us have found that we have put our foot in it, haven't we? Put our foot in it big, big time. We need that, that spirit. And then another reason why this of necessity, the complexities and the complications will perplex us. That's what happens. Look at this situation. There he is, and then there's Jerusalem. And can you imagine he had heard about it? But how do you think he felt when, when he saw those walls? My, it's far beyond anything I had contemplated. When he saw not a single gate in place, and not a single finger being raised in order to redeem the situation and rescue and rebuild. It is overwhelming. That's why Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? Who's up for the task? Who's adequate? Late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, he served along with Dr. Campbell Morgan. Dr. Campbell Morgan never showed the slightest sign of apprehension or fears when he was going to preach. Dr. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was always keyed up and anxious. Uh, and I think if he got anxious, I had more reason to be anxious. But near the end of his life, he was asked by some pastors, do you still feel as bad as ever? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when you go to preach, he said, worse than ever, thank God. I have to cast myself upon the God of heaven to help the weakest of the weak to do the work of God. My dear friend, we will be overwhelmed. You know, you as a church are thinking about the future and so forth. You will face new challenges. You'll encounter new difficulties. You'll have experiences perhaps you never even dreamt about. And this is what's more important than ever. We, we pray to the God of heaven before we speak, before we act. And then also the emergencies that can derail us. The devil knows the best tactics. I can assure you. He knows the very best tactics. And suddenly something will come along. Look at these people when they hear Sam Balance. And this other man, at first, they're angry, and then they're filled with ridicule and mentioning all sorts of things. And later on, we will see them. They had more heinous and hideous things to bring before him. Nehemiah prayed first. He saw the necessity and the priority of praying. And then he would speak. And then he would act. Here is a need for prayer. And then another thing here, the availability of prayer. 
you know, it's just wonderful. Then he, he, he says, the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I pray to the God of heaven and I answer, oh, it's available. What a wonderful thing. What access Nehemiah had. My dear friends, that's even before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before this wonderful new and living way, which is more readily portrayed in the scriptures, was made known. Is that wonderful that we entrance we have through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? If Nehemiah had such availability, surely we have greater reason to believe so and to act so. Surely we have that. Remember in the Church of Pelso, we used to have meetings in homes and it was evangelistic. And some of the members would invite neighbours and friends in. And normally I would give a talk on some aspect of the gospel. And then people were allowed to speak. And I remember one woman saying, now, and I've been speaking about one of the blessings of knowing Christ is, is that ability to pray. And she says, oh, now I understand. Now I appreciate. I said, what is it? She said, I've been dialing the wrong number. And I think, well, what's going to come next? She said, I've been thinking that God would hear me just because of who I am. She said, no, I see. I should have been dialing J-E-S-U-S, the name of Jesus. She said, now I see it. I can come. Dear friends, we can come. That's wonderful availability that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paderewski, uh, the great musician, and he was asked by a person, if he was suddenly asked to perform some momentous composition, one of the greats, and could he, could he do it? And he said, I believe so. And the person says, how could you do that? How could you at a moment's notice perform some of these great works and this is what he said. I have studied and practiced eight hours a day for 40 years. So now it becomes almost natural for me to do it. And you know what? Nehemiah had such a communion with the Lord, such a fellowship with his God, who had prayed and prayed and prayed that whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, it was natural for him just to open his heart to the God of heaven. Guy King put it this way. He said, whenever I come to pray, I have two, two pictures, two frame pictures in my mind. One picture is a picture of my needs and my problems and my situations. He says, the other picture, which is a bigger one, is a picture of my God. And he said, the more I look at the big picture, the smaller the other picture gets. He said, I'm praying to the God of heaven. The God without the limitations or imperfections of earth. The Lord God Almighty is the one to whom I'm praying. Here's the second tool, the tool of prayer, the tool of patience, the tool of prayer. And then the third one, the one which I will close with this evening, is the tool of planning. Uh, you notice Nehemiah had lifted his heart in prayer to God. Uh, his mouth is opened. However, the backdrop to all that happened to there was Nehemiah's planning and thinking. Nehemiah had learned lessons from the past. He knew that the same king had decreed that the work should stop. 
He had given it a decree. Nehemiah understood that and he understood why he gave that decree, why he was in, uh, encouraged to, to make that decree to stop. Work. And he understood that and he had it in his mind and he was prepared for it. You notice when he's speaking to the king, he doesn't mention Jerusalem. He mentions the burial place of his ancestors. That would have appealed to a Persian king. They had great regard for the burial places of the dead. Jerusalem, in the eyes of many, was an upstart place. He doesn't mention that. He just mentions this place. This, this place in order to endear himself to the king. Do you notice what he's able to say? When the king asked the question, he immediately knew how long he'd be away. He had already thought it through. The, the times he knew. He knew what he required. He needed to be safe. There would be those who would be absolutely opposed if they heard that Jerusalem was going to be rebuilt. And so same when a work is being built or a work is being rebuilt, there will be those who will be there to oppose it. And the evil one will see to it that that happens. Nehemiah was ready for that. He's able to ask for that letters from the king, letters of authority. He even knew about the keeper of the king's woods and forests. He knew his name. What planning? What planning? You notice, it isn't all planning. It isn't all praying. It's praying and planning. Planning and praying. All the way through. A young man who was a minister, a pastor, and he went to a church. And he, he, he told the people, I, I believe the Lord will give me a word to speak to you as I leave my house. And, and, and by the time I get to the church. I've got about 10 or 15 minutes. And so after a few weeks he had preached, uh, a senior deacon said to him, Pastor, do you mind if I give you a word of advice? He says, yeah, please do. I would suggest you buy a house 20 miles away from the church. You need to do a lot more preparing. And, and this is the wise word. Sometimes we need to do a lot more preparing when it comes to the work of God. This is a great work. This is a glorious work. This is God's work. It requires that we should bring the very best that our minds, aided by the Holy Spirit, taught by the scriptures, can bring to that work. The very best thing in terms of these things. Had we told to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us, we should be ready, prepared. Doesn't Peter say to the Christians in his first letter, prepare your minds for action, for service. Prepare this work. We need to do that. President Roosevelt said, I was a pretty average man, but I worked harder at it than the average man did. He said, I had no great gifts, extraordinary. But I gave all I had uh, to that in the work of God. A few questions I jotted down for me to consider, and perhaps you would like to. First question, has the challenge and the excitement gone out of our Christian service? Do we still feel that same challenge? Is that stirring of heart? 
when we think about it, whatever it is, the most mundane, the most monumental, there's still that chance. Are we planning ahead prayerfully? Or we just go into the routine? Now, routine isn't a dirty word. But surely the Lord should have. The Lord must have something better than just a routine. Just the turning up. Going through the motions. Nehemiah didn't just turn up. He was up. For that which God had called him to. to. Do we think deeply about what we're doing? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? How am I doing it? Or we just lapsed into sort of, well, we go through the motions. Do we think of better ways or try to think of better ways if that is all possible? The words of Elizabeth Fry, I will end with this. I think each day, I think each day how I might better serve my Lord and my Savior. I think each day how I might serve better my Lord and my Savior. Dear friends, have you got your toolbox? Got it ready? Ready for the work? Is that tool of patience right there? Is that tool of prayer? Ready to use? Sharp? Is that tool of planning? Close to our hearts. May the Lord help us. And may we hear and may we say to one another, as the people of Israel did when Nehemiah made known what God's good hand upon them. They replied, let us start building. So they began this good work. May the Lord help us. Amen.